of us would say that we have during the last several months uh, there have been times we've looked back and we've wanted uh, what we had we looked into the past and said you know, I just want to be normal again I just want life to be normal again and, and we've hoped for uh, that that we had we wanted to have that again and, uh, what I want to say today is that God has something new for you. He has something new for you, and and in order to have the new, you have to let go of the old. You have to let go of the old. And so I would say, uh, for all of us who have said, uh, I want the old, or even even if you've said that you want a new normal, I'm going to say, why don't you let your new be that you'll never be normal again. Never again. Uh, Because God really does want to do something new in you and and for you. Um, And in the midst of that, he may may do something new to you. And so we'll we'll talk about that a little bit today. Uh, We're going to take up an offering uh, at this point and uh, we've been praying this prayer together for several weeks and uh, it goes like this God everything we have is yours we are only stewards of your gifts all of Riverstone belongs to you we want only for Riverstone what you desire we believe you want to save the lost use us where you can we believe you want to heal the sick use us if you will We believe you want to make us more like your son, Jesus. Have your way in us. Hear our prayers. Open the eyes of our hearts. Receive and multiply our tithes and offerings. We trust you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Uh, There are several ways to give. You can uh, text to give. You can download the Riverstone app. Uh, and give through the app. You can also write checks uh, and mail them uh, to our post office box. Or uh, there's also there are also baskets, three baskets in the, in the rear of the room, and you could um, drop something in one of those baskets on your way out uh, if you want to do that. Uh, so we've been talking um, for uh, several weeks about things that Jesus did to take the disciples deeper, and uh, we looked at uh, things that he taught them, and, and uh, then we've also been looking at places that he took them. We're going to do that again today. 
Um, we're going to read from, from Mark chapter 14. We're going to read a couple of different sections. We're going to start with Mark 14, 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, uh, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said so as well. And then verse 43, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, preachers of the law, and the elders. Now, the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Just point out one interesting thing before I pray. Um, so uh, we know that the Gospel of Mark was written by, by John Mark, who uh, served as an assistant uh, for several key leaders uh, in the New Testament, one of them being Peter. And so a lot of people refer to Mark's Gospel as actually Peter's Gospel because they, they believe that it's uh, told from the perspective of Peter, that Peter told John Mark what happened, John Mark wrote it down. Um, a lot of scholars also believe that the, the young man who ran away naked was John Mark. Uh, and the reason that they believe that, two reasons. One is there's, there's really no reason for that to be in the story other, other than, you know, the person who it was. Uh, it was a common practice for writers, kind of like, if you remember, Alfred Hitchcock used to always put himself in his movies, and you had to really watch, but you would see, and he, there he would be. And it was common practice for writers to put themselves in the story somewhere. 
uh, just to let you know, hey, I wrote this. Well, you would think, okay, well, that's kind of a <laughs> self-centered thing to do, put yourself in the story so everybody knows that you wrote it, unless you put yourself in the story in a way that makes you look really bad. And so that's, that's what John Mark does, uh, because John Mark, uh, like all of the others, was heartbroken over the fact that he ran away. Uh, but he, he wanted you to know and wanted us to know that he was there. So I'm not saying absolutely that that was him. I'm just saying a lot of people think that it was him. All right, so let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we, uh, we believe that you have things you want to say to us today and things that you want to do in us. And uh, we just ask you to have your way. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would use me if you can. And uh, hide me if you must. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't often start a sermon by telling you what I'm not saying, <laughs> but sometimes uh, sometimes you need to do that probably. I, some of what I want to say today and, and kind of point towards and allude to could be misunderstood, and so I'm just going to tell you from the beginning what I'm not saying so that you won't be tempted to go there, okay? What I am not saying is that Jesus causes us to fail or wants us to fail. Okay, I'm not saying that. Uh, what I am saying is that he's not afraid of our failure. He's not afraid of it at all. It, does, it doesn't scare him, and he's not hiding from it, and he doesn't want us to hide from it. In fact, if we look at the facts, and that's what we're gonna, part of what we're going to do today, is look at the facts of this story. Jesus actually leads the disciples into the place of their greatest failure. Now, he doesn't cause it. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that, that he has given us is the freedom to choose. Uh, we are able to choose. And the reason, you know, he, he gave us the freedom to choose is so that we could choose him. So we could choose to love him and, and be lovers rather than robots. He could have created us with no free will. He could have created us as machines, and we would have had no choice in the matter, and we would have just, like machines, done everything right. Uh, he gave us the ability to choose, which resulted in the fall because he desires lovers, not machines. And, and so when we fail, I'm not saying that he caused it or that he wanted it or that, you know, any of those things. But what I am saying is that uh, in this particular case, and I think in the case of all of us, there, there are times when he walks with us right into the place of failure. And, and in this particular story, he led them there. He knew it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. He told them before it happened that it was going to happen. And then he took them to the place where it happened. So I'm not saying... Jesus caused it. I'm not saying he wanted it, uh, but he did take them there. Uh, in, um, he takes them to the garden, uh, which is the place of prayer. 
which is a good thing. They don't do so well there. Uh, they, they sleep a lot. Uh, but he took them to the garden, he took them to the place of prayer, and he took them to the place of their greatest failure. And we've looked at, at this story with Peter before, and, and Peter's story is, is well documented. And Peter, you know, he, he gets out front of everyone else when Jesus says, you know, you're going to fall away. Peter quickly says, you know, not me. You know, everybody else might fall away. Even if everybody else falls away, not me. I'm not going to fall. I'm going to follow you. Even if I have to die for you, I'm going all the way. I will not fall. And, you know, it's kind of funny the way things work out because how many of us remember details of the other 10 disciples' failure that night? All we know, we just know that the group of them ran away, except for Peter. And we know everything he did that night. You know, the one who stood up and said, I'll never, I'll never, never deny you. I'll, I'll never fall away. We know everything. We know all of the things that he did. We know that he slept when he should have been praying. We know that he followed Jesus when Jesus was arrested. He tried to follow at a distance. Jesus had called him and said, come and follow me. And, and for three and a half years, he had followed Jesus intimately. And then on the most crucial night of Jesus' life, he decided that now would be a good time to follow Jesus from a distance rather than up close. And so that's what he did. And then we know that he warmed his hands at the enemy's fire, which is a great place to make mistakes. And he did it. He went to the enemy's fire to warm his hands because he wanted to kind of hear what was going on. But he wanted to hear what was going on from the perspective of people that would be safe for him until they recognized him. And when they recognized him, he lied. And he denied Jesus three times. We, we know all that. And none of it was a surprise to Jesus. He predicted it. Uh, he predicted that the disciples would fail, that they would fall, that they would leave. He predicted that Peter would deny all of that. He said to them, you will all fall away. And then he took them to the place where it would happen. Isn't that, isn't that kind of shocking? He said, you're going to fail. You're going to fall away. Now, come with me. And then he took them to the very place where it would happen. And what I want to say about that is that Jesus is not afraid to take us to difficult places or into difficult things because he sees the big picture and he is more concerned with the ultimate outcome than the immediate moment. We, we love the moment. He loves the destiny. He sees where you're going. He knows where you'll finish, and he wants to take you through whatever it takes to get you to that place. We allow fear to keep us from going into some of the places that Jesus really wants us uh, to go. Now, when I was in seventh grade, 
big thing as a seventh grader at my school was uh, roller skating. Any, any roller skaters? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I tried it once. And I just couldn't, I, I wasn't good. I couldn't do it. I just fell down a lot. And my wife, roller skater, man, she, she, can, she can roller skate, you know, frontwards, backwards, sideways. She has her own, I think we may still have them, her own skates in a, like a carrying case, got her name painted on it, all the good stuff. I mean, she's like a roller queen, roller derby queen. That could be her. And, uh, but I couldn't roller skate. And I only tried once. And guess why I never tried again? I was afraid of failing. And it put such a crimp in my love life as a seventh grader. Because that's where all the girls, that's where you met the girls. I could have met my wife. I didn't meet my wife until I was 18. I may have met her at 12 if I had just learned how to skate. But fear keeps us from going places that, that God wants us to go. Um, Jesus knew that he was about to be arrested, and he knew that they would fall away, and still he took them to, to the garden to pray. He took them to the garden to pray. Jesus knew that they would fail, and he was not afraid of their failure. And he's not afraid of yours. He's not afraid of your failure. He's not afraid of mine. The fear of failure, I believe, is one of the greatest obstacles in our lives to really, uh, to greatness or to intimacy or, or, or whatever, whatever you may call it, whatever you may go after. Uh, the fear of failure is a huge obstacle. In sports, I, I'm convinced that the people who truly excel and do those unbelievable things in sports that we just go, wow, I can't believe, it's because they're not afraid of failing. They're not afraid of failing, and so they, they do things that nobody else does because they try things that nobody else will try. And, and whether you're talking about, about sports or business or love, uh, the fear of failure, the fear of failure, uh, keeps us, it holds us back, and it keeps us uh, from going places. Uh, what, it, what the fear of failure really does is, as, as a believer is it, it causes us to live in the shallow end of the pool where it's safe. And uh, that's, that's what the disciples did on this particular night. On this particular night, they just retreated to the shallow end of the pool because they were afraid. Jesus knew they, were, they would fail. He wasn't afraid of it. Secondly, he didn't try to hide their failure. He actually pointed it out before it happened. I have a quote from uh, Sean, Sean Bowles that I ran across this week. Got that? There we go. Sometimes he purposely puts your weakness on display to powerful people. So when you're empowered and powerful, they know the difference when it's God and when it's you. Sometimes God allows your weakness. He puts your weakness on display so people can see how weak you are. 
so that when you look powerful, they'll know it's not you. <laughs> I love that. But that's what he does. Jesus is not afraid of your weakness, and he's not afraid of your failure, and he's not going to hide it. He doesn't hide things. He brings things into the open. He said one time to a group of people, you, you love the darkness because your deeds are evil. That's why we hide things. Why do we hide things? We hide things because we're ashamed of them. And Jesus doesn't want us to walk in shame, so he wants to just bring everything out. So he doesn't hide our failure. He actually often highlights our failure. And in this particular case, he predicted it. He said, you're going to fall. You're going to run away. Uh, the disciples' failure, you know, get your head around this. The, disciple, the disciples' failure positioned them for future success. Their failure positioned them for future success. Now, if you know, if you have ever experienced failure, anybody here? Anybody who didn't, wake, didn't raise your hand, people next to them need to wake them up. We, we've all experienced failure at some level, right? And we all know that when you experience failure, it can go one of two ways. It can cause you to retreat, or it can cause you to grow. And, and I believe that failure is one of the greatest teachers in life. Probably I should say failing rather than failure. Failing. Because it's, it's, not, a, it's not a destination. It's just an event. Failing is a great teacher. Uh, we learn from our mistakes. Peter learned from his mistakes, and we'll, we'll revisit that uh, in a few minutes. Uh, main thing that you learn to, from failing is that without Jesus, you will fail. Without Jesus, uh, you will fail. And from a distance, you will deny. If you try to follow him from a distance, you will deny. So Jesus knew they would fail. Jesus didn't try to hide their failure. The disciples' failure positioned them for future success. And, and then fourth, we rely on the Holy Spirit. But the human will plays a vital role in our journey. The human will plays a vital role in our journey because God has given us the ability to choose. How many of you have been tempted this week? I'm not asking you with what or what you did. How many, how many of you have been tempted? Every one of us has been tempted this week. And when you are tempted, guess what? Your human will comes into play in that. And sometimes you make the right choice. And the right choice is to submit to God and, and to pray and to say, God, help me. Get me out of this. And, and the Bible says that there's always a way out. When temptation comes, there's always a way out. And God will offer you that way out. But if you don't surrender that moment to Jesus, there's a chance that you'll make a wrong decision. And, and your human will 
the ability that God has given you to choose will often determine which way you go. Jesus actually paid a price for you to have the ability to choose. If you think about it, God created in the beginning, very beginning when God created us, and he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them the ability to choose. And so God knew right then, you know, the Bible says that Jesus was slain from the foundations of the earth, right? Before the foundations of the earth, before creation, it was decided that Jesus would die. And the reason was because God wanted to create you and I with the ability to choose him, to love him, to make a choice to love him. He wanted to give us that. And in order for that to happen, Jesus had to die. Because one of the outplays of that was was sin. God knew if he gave us the right to choose that we would choose sin. And so Adam and Eve chose sin, and we have lived with an inheritance of sin ever since. We live in a fallen world. And so Jesus actually died to take away the power of sin, to take away the penalty of sin, but he also died because God wanted us to have the freedom to choose. So, God chose the cross for Jesus because he wanted choice for us. So, Peter slept, he followed at a distance, and he denied. And it broke his heart. It it literally broke his heart. Scripture says he he went out and just wept. It, It says he wept bitterly. And then Jesus predicted that he would deny, and then he pursued Peter after his denial, after the resurrection. He pursues Peter. He restores Peter. He loves Peter, and he gives Peter a refresher in destiny. He gives Peter a a refresher in destiny. When Jesus meets Peter on a beach after the resurrection, he asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then Jesus asks Peter again, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then he asks him a third time, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know, you know. You know more than I do. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. It's a refresher in destiny because what did Jesus tell Peter in the beginning when he first said, come and follow me? He said, from now on, you will be fishers of men. From now on, you will be fishers of men. This is Peter's destiny. This is Peter's destiny. Peter's destiny is fishers of men not denying. 
Don't misunderstand the difference between his destiny and an event along the way. We, we sometimes create his identity. Let me just say, on behalf of Thomas, the beloved disciple who I share a name with, we, we have done him such disservice, we have called him Thomas the Doubter, Doubting Thomas. How many times in my life have I been called Doubting Thomas? Because Thomas doubted one time. It was an event, y'all. It was an event. It was not his identity. And after he doubted, you know what he did? He took the gospel to India. And all over India, everywhere you go, there's St. Thomas Church, St. Thomas Church, St. Thomas Church, St. Thomas. And the guy doubted once. And that's his identity. Peter denied. Don't make the mistake of thinking that's his identity because it wasn't. His identity, his destiny was fisher of men. Fisher of men, and that's, that's what he was. That's what he became. So Peter and the others, after all of this, after Jesus, he tells them you're going to fail, and they fail. And it, you know, it wasn't a small failure. It was epic. It was, it was an incredible failure. And Peter's, we think, was worse. You know why Peter's felt worse? Because we know more about it. You know why we know more about it? Because he didn't run away as far as the others did. They all failed. They all failed. But then they turned the world upside down. They failed miserably. And then the same group who ran away in Gethsemane turned the world upside down. Upside down. And, and the reason that they did that is because they chose repentance rather than shame. They chose to yield rather than resist. They chose to start over rather than quit. He did the work, but they made the choice. They made the choice. And, and you and I will have choices this week. We'll have choices this week. And, and when you choose him, you'll grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, and you will increase in the things of God. And when you fail, and you will, and I will, when we fail, don't hide, don't run, don't quit. Because failure is not your destiny. It's just an event along the way. I have a quote um, from a book by Viktor Frankl. It goes like this. Don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you're going to miss it. For success, like happiness, cannot be pursued. It must ensue. Where do we go? It uh, must ensue. And, and it only does so as the unintended side effect 
of one's dedication to a cause greater than oneself or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. God did not choose you and call you so that you would be successful. And God's goal and destiny for Riverstone Church is is not success. Not success in the way that the world measures it, at least. Jesus' ministry grew and grew and grew. Huge crowds followed him, and then it shrank and shrank and shrank. And when he asked them questions like, will you eat my flesh and drink my blood, it really, really shrunk to the point where he had to turn to the disciples and say, are are you going to leave too? Yeah. Because success, the way the world measures it, is not what we were made for. We were made, we were called, to give ourselves to a cause greater than us and to surrender ourselves to a man greater than us. And that is success. As we make that journey, there will be moments where we will fail. But our destiny Our destiny is to be fishers of men and women and children. Our destiny is to advance the kingdom until he returns. Our destiny is to know him as intimately as he can be known and to make him known to all of those who don't know him. Our destiny is irrevocable. God has stamped it on our hearts because we have given ourselves to him. There will be moments of failing, but our destiny is to be with him forever. Now, let's pray. Lord, we recognize that you know us, you see us clearly, there's nothing about us that surprises you in any way. And uh, you know our weaknesses, you know our strengths. And um, we recognize that our failure today can position us for success tomorrow if we let you have it if we give it to you. And so I I pray that we would choose today to let you have our past, to let you have our, our present, to let you have our future, to hold nothing for ourselves, but to empty ourselves completely for you. In Jesus' name.